Amen. What a great message and song. Please take out your Bible with me this morning and turn to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 4. You go ahead and find your place there and I'll join you in just a moment. Boys and girls, if they've not been dismissed yet, Children's Church uh, can head on out this morning. 1 Timothy chapter 4. Well, how many of you can relate to this? How many of you know that establishing a new routine can be hard work? Can I see your hand? How many of you know that to be true? Well, I was in my freshman year of college. The year between my freshman and sophomore year of college, I lost nearly 30 pounds. And uh, there was a number of, of things for that. In fact, when I began my semester that year, I was going in not in a ministry major, but is in a criminal justice major. And so I'm sitting in class with a bunch of fit dudes, and I'm realizing I'm not as fit as I ought to be. And, uh, and so that was some motivation. But really what kicked everything in gear was when I met my wife on December 3rd of that year and also gave me a whole brand new motivation to uh, lose some weight. And, uh, you know, you, you got all the, the dating pond of everything, you know, at school. And so you're like, hey, I, I, I got I to, you know, I got to make sure I... I make this work, right? And so uh, how many of you, though, know uh, losing weight, working out, those type of things can be hard? How many of you know what I'm talking about? And that's not to say that my wife didn't ask me to lose the weight, right? So, like, um, she never said that. Like, you're like, probably like, wait, was that a cont-? No, not at all. All right. That was a bad opening. That's what that was. <laughs> we all know that regimens can be hard, right? Creating a new routine can be difficult. And it is that way, though, in anything in life, that, that things that are rewarding are things that require effort. We all know this to be true, whether it's developing a new uh, regimen that you're working out or learning a new skill, or as we're going to be considering this morning, um, continuing our study in spiritual disciplines. Last week, we began a new series entitled Rhythms of Grace, and we are thinking about the spiritual practices that really create an environment for a healthy soul to thrive. We're, 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 we're thinking about the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. Now, here's what I know to be true. Anything in life requires effort, and anything that is worth doing requires uh, discipline. And, and in the same is true in the Christian life, that there ought to be, in the life of a believer, certain rhythms. You see, that, that, that word rhythm, it carries the idea of this consistent, intentional movement to a certain beat. And as we were thinking about last week, what is the beat that God would have his followers to move to, right? What is it? Another way we could say it is, what are the activities of the Christian life, or what is the rhythm of what our life should look like for those who know Christ Jesus as their Savior? We're, we're using 1 Timothy chapter 4, where you've opened in your Bibles. If you look up overhead, you'll see those two verses. In, in chapter 4, beginning verse 7, Paul says, to train yourself for godliness. For godliness, while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and for the life to come. The Bible says to train yourself for godliness. Would you just lift up your voice as we kind of read out our key text of where we'll be today? Train yourself for godliness. 
For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, I want you to think about it. What are spiritual disciplines? We, we kind of described it and defined it last week as this. By discipline, what we mean are exercises, really practices. They are activities. They are things that you do. Turn to your neighbor and tell them they're things you do. So they're disciplines, they're activities, they are things that we do, but they are not just disciplines, they are spiritual disciplines. By spiritual, we mean they have been influenced and they have been shaped and really infused by the Spirit of God. This is the way we're defining spiritual disciplines in our series. Spiritual disciplines are Holy Spirit-empowered activities and habits that by design God uses to grow His people in grace to draw them closer to his son, and to produce in them a life of spiritual transformation. I want to read that again. I want you to think about what is these spiritual disciplines doing in the life of a believer. Spiritual disciplines are Holy Spirit-empowered activities and habits that by design God uses to grow his people in grace, to draw them closer to his son, and to produce in them a life of spiritual transformation. The way we thought about it last week is that spiritual disciplines are like training exercises for our Christian life. And we looked at last week that, that none of us in life drift toward transformation. And in fact, in fact, all of us find ourselves really resisting and, and sometimes going a contrary, walking contrary to the way in which we should. And, 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 we, and we discovered that, okay, well, last week, for those of you who weren't here, we said that transformation, the transformation that God desires out of each one of us as his children are things that are accompanied by really through the grace of God, but they also require our obedience. Our obedience. You see, the work of God's grace in our life and how God would transform our life, yes, is through the power of what the Spirit of God is doing in us, but it requires our cooperation to that. It requires our yielding. It requires our obedience that together God is doing his transforming work. He's, God is doing some of the deepest works in our life, not apart from us, but he's doing them in us and, and through us. And so, you know, I think about that verse in, in Colossians where the Bible says, therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You see, having received Jesus Christ by saving faith, the spirit of God in that moment is doing something in your life. The Bible calls us a new creation, that the old has died, behold, the new has come. And so there is, when a person comes to saving faith in Jesus Christ, when a person is born again, there is this dynamic transformation that happens in our life by the Spirit of God. He is, the Bible teaching us, regenerating us. He is renewing us, and God is doing all of these things from within. And so it is the gospel, it's not just, it is not just the gospel by which we are saved, but it is what Paul says, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. So it is the gospel of what we believed when we came to trust Christ as Savior, that is the gospel that we are to live and to walk in. And Paul, Paul talks about how there is all of this transformation that happens in the life of a believer because he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Isn't that great news? 
Isn't it good to know that what God has begun in our lives, he is not finished, but he is continually working and working to bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So there are things, believe me this morning, there are things that God desires to do in your life. Do you know that? I mean, do you believe that there are things that God wants to do in your life to change you to be more like him? How many of you would raise your hand and say, I believe that? But but if you believe that, it's just intellectual until you embrace it with your life, until you begin to walk in those things and respond to those things and in cooperation with the Spirit of God, God begins to bring this transformation in our lives. And so what do we learn? We, We learn that transformation is the result of God's grace and my obedience. But secondly, we learned something last week that was so critical, and that is this, that these spiritual disciplines are a means to an end. They are not an end in of themselves. That's why someone can read their Bible and not be changed. That's why someone can read their Bible and not actually feel like they've grown. There are things that we can do, but if we're wrapped up in the activity as the end of the thing, we'll miss out on what God wants to do in us. You see, spiritual disciplines are a means to an end. The focus of the activity, the reason we're doing these disciplines is because these disciplines are the things that God uses to put us on a path to know Jesus better. I love how Don Whitney describes it. He says, spiritual disciplines are the God-given means of experiencing God. I mean, it's just so straightforward. The spiritual disciplines are the God-given means, what? Of experiencing God. And we don't do these spiritual disciplines to receive his favor. We, we, we don't do these spiritual disciplines to, in a sense, be good with God. Here's the reality for those of you who are in Jesus Christ this morning. You already have his love. Would you say that out loud? I already have his love. You already have it. If you're in Christ Jesus this morning, you already have it. You have his love. And you don't achieve his love. You don't have to work to earn God's favor. You don't have to work to earn God's righteousness. You see, that's what separates Christianity from every other religion in the world. There are so many religions that are trying to earn favor with God. They're trying to appease a God to somehow grant them a success, to somehow grant them favor, to somehow work on their behalf. But you know, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of what Jesus has done for us is I already have his love. I already have his grace. I already have his forgiveness. I already have his mercy. I I, I have his righteousness. I have his goodness. So why are we doing the disciplines? Because the disciplines are God-given means of experiencing God. The the, the disciplines are are, are really what kind of creates and cultivates the the habit. They they, they, they cultivate, as it were, the garden of, of, of which the spiritual growth in our life can be produced. You know, God wants us to become like his son. The Bible says we are saved to be conformed to the image of his son. This is what God is after in your life. You say, well, what is God doing now that I've been saved and I've come to know him as my savior and there's this wait until one day I will be glorified what is God doing in the middle of all of this? And that's what he's doing. He's working to conform you to be more like his son. And, and the way that we set ourselves on that path 
are these spiritual disciplines. And so last week we considered the first one, which is scriptural meditation. But this morning, we're going to consider the second, which is probably one of the most vital spiritual disciplines, and that is prayer. Prayer. How many of you know there is often a gap between our intentions and our actions? How many of you, can I see your hand? How many of you know that there's often a gap between our intentions and between our actions? You see, you, see, you and I have the best of intentions, don't we? I mean, we kind of go through life and in every stage of life, whether how the seasons change, we, we, we always kind of for ourselves have those good intentions. But even in spite of the best of intentions, how many of you know it's, it's sometimes challenging to follow Jesus Christ, right? Like, so we can have intentions, but if, we, if we're not accompanying that in our life with actions, then there is this gap. And here's the problem for many of us. Actually, in fact, many of us in the church today, we struggle with this gap. Because we wrongly assume that just having good intentions is what is going to produce the change in our spiritual life. But that doesn't happen. Things don't work that way. And here's the thing. Like, here's how we know that to be true. Because we live in a society today that, 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 that all of us know a tremendous amount of things about, about, about a whole bunch of things. I mean, I, mean, I mean, we're living in a society where we just know. We have information, and we can tell people about a ton of things, but we've actually experienced very little. You see, I think all of us right now, if I were to have you turn to the person next to you and have a conversation of what life is like in the outer space, all of you would be able to talk about that. You would, you, you would talk about the texture of planets. You would talk about the way things look. You'd talk about the International Space Station and things that they do there. You'd, 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 you'd talk about all these things in outer space that you know but you've not experienced. In fact, I dare say there is no one in here that has been to outer space. But let me just check. Anybody? Okay, no. But, but, but why is it, though, that we can act and we talk as if we do know? Why, why, why do we talk as if we've actually seen and experienced it? Well, because we've watched movies, right? We've seen videos. We've, we've read articles. We've, we've, we've learned the information, but, but, but we've not actually experienced it. And here's the sad thing. In the church of Jesus Christ, there's a lot of followers of Jesus who know information, but it is not change them. They've actually not experienced anything. And I wonder, is that you this morning as we're here, as we're just talking about the life of prayer and the spiritual discipline of, of, of communing with God? Maybe this morning, I, I want to ask you that question. Right before we start this morning, do you experience what you talk about? Or another way we could say it is, do you practice what it is you preach? I think it's a challenge, right, every time that as a pastor I have a message on prayer. It causes me to, you know, I think prayer is one of those things that we all kind of just grow up in the church feeling or thinking that we should be better at or, or that we should do more. I probably wouldn't say there's a person in this room this morning that, that thinks that their prayer life is where they want it to be. But my question is this morning is this. Have you actually experienced what prayer does in the life of a believer? Have you, ha, are you experiencing what God would have you to experience? Or are you simply just knowing what you think God would have you to experience? You see, because the way that we relate to God in the Christian life is by following after him. 
Jesus, remember on that day when Jesus called out to his disciples, you remember his invitation of what Jesus invited them? He says, follow what? Me. Jesus is saying, follow me. Walk after me. Live after me. Model your life after me. Follow me. To follow, I mean, this is simple, right? But if we're going to follow Jesus, it requires actions. If we are following after Jesus, it requires steps. It requires progress. It requires moving in a certain direction, the direction that God is leading us on. But you know what the problem is? That many of us in the church of Jesus Christ, we've reduced what Jesus has commanded to not just follow him, but we say, well, if you're going to have a life in Christ, it's just to believe in him. Now, Now, Jesus does tell us to believe in him right? Yes or no? Yeah, he does. But is that where it ends? No. In fact, that was one of the very first things that that Jesus would say to people who would come to him. He's confronting them on their level of belief. He's confronting them on whether or not they believe that he is who he claimed to be. But to his followers, Jesus doesn't say, believe in me. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Why? Because in that process, in that pathway, as we follow the Lord, we begin to experience, not just know, but we begin to experience the Christian life. You see, our belief in Jesus Christ will manifest itself in the way that we live. And so if we're following after the Lord and we're putting ourselves on the path to follow Jesus, that as we're walking towards Jesus, that these spiritual disciplines are the means of God's grace by which we experience him. And so if we are involved in these practices, it doesn't mean that, that we will instantly receive what we want, but it, but it will tell us that as we're involved in these practices, we are cultivating in our heart an attitude that wants the Lord, it's following after the Lord, it's positioning ourselves in a way to to know the Lord, and that then by the supernatural work of the Spirit of God in our life, God's the one who produces the growth. We can't grow ourselves, but God produces the growth in us. But we do position ourselves in a path for that spiritual growth to take place. So this morning, if you're taking notes with us as we're thinking about the second spiritual practice of prayer... I want to give you just two thoughts this morning that we are going to explore. But before I give you the two thoughts, I just want to ask you to to, to clarify what you think about what prayer is. If I were to have you right now turn to the person next to you and define for them what prayer is, what would you say? Someone tell me, what, 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 what would you say? Prayer is talking to God. That's, how many of you think that's a pretty good definition, Right? Anything else? Would anybody add anything to that? Prayer is talking to God. What else? It's acknowledging him. What did you say? Okay, it's accessing the heart of God. Anything else? How would you describe what prayer is? It's meditating. It's that communion with God, right? Prayer is talking to God. Prayer is communication to God. And here's the great news because of what Jesus has done for us. The Bible says that because of Jesus Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection, that you and I, who once were afar off, have now been brought near to God through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen? Like, so those of us who were once separated from God, have now access to God. And the Bible says you and I have direct access to the throne of God. 
I mean, you can walk right in the throne room and lay down all concerns to the one who is able to answer. I want to ask you, so if prayer is talking to God, if prayer is communing with God, here's my question. Do you pray? Do you pray? Or do people just think you pray? Like, do you really have moments in your daily walk, in your life, moments where you're literally having a conversation with God? Just look at your life. Think about your week. I want you to think back from now to last Sunday. How many conversations did you have with God this week? How many moments did you talk to the Lord? And maybe you're honest this morning, you're here and you're saying, you know, prayer is a really undisciplined area in my Christian life. And maybe you would describe your prayer life as sporadic at best. Well, this morning, I, w- I want us to see two truths of what Jesus is going to teach us about a life of prayer. I want you first to notice this. What do we learn about prayer? First, we learn about the prerequisite of prayer. And the prerequisite of prayer is simple faith. The Bible says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. I want you to think about that. I mean, the Bible is saying, like the God of the universe, in order to please the God of the universe in your life and through your life, that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. You see, prayer in our life requires faith. I mean, think about how much faith it takes to pray. I mean, think about it. I mean, think about, really, how much faith it takes to pray. You're praying to a God who you cannot see. And you're trusting the answers that are completely out of your control. I mean, think about how much faith that takes. To pray to a God I cannot see, and then to trust that whatever he's going to do and the way that he's going to answer it is actually going to be for my good and for his glory, that takes a lot of faith. But it takes simple faith. It's not hard. It's faith of a child. Oh, man, I, I remember my mom sitting here this morning, and when Adam was growing up, man, we just had this thing in the house that if, if Adam prayed for it, it happened. Like, so we, 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 you know, someone would lose something, and then we'd spend like an hour searching, but if Adam prayed for it, 20 seconds later, there it is. And I tell you, there's something about a faith of a kid, like just that belief, and he would start to challenge us on it. Like, so we'd grow up, and he'd just say, well, wait, wait, we prayed about it. Pray about it, answer, right? Prayer is not hard. Faith is not hard. It's it's the faith of a child, but here's the reality. What is the Bible showing us? The prerequisite for prayer is simple faith. F.B. Meyer once said that the great tragedy of life is not unanswered prayer, but it's unoffered prayer. It's not unanswered, but unoffered. Many of us, we, we conclude our prayer and we open our eyes after saying, in Jesus' name, amen. And some of us, we lift up our eyes. And how many of you know that after you pray about something and you open your eyes, you don't instantly sometimes see the tangible expressions of answered prayer? How many of you know what I'm talking about, right? But what would it be like if that did happen? How would that change our prayer life if, if, if after we prayed, within, within 60 seconds, we saw the answer? We, we'd pray without ceasing, right? We'd pray the way the Bible is instructing us to pray. 
But the challenge is for many of us, there are things that God is doing, ways that God is working, threads in the tapestry of what he is sowing that through our prayers we do not see right away. But it does not mean that he is not answering them. I once had a friend in college that really challenged me on it. He put it this way. He says, Aaron, every time you pray, God answers. Every time you pray, God answers. Now, it may not be the way you want or how you want or what you think, but he always, listen, listen, don't take my word for it. Take the word of God for it. And the Bible tells us in the book of 1 John, and this is the confidence that we have toward him. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And we know that if he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request we've asked of him. I I don't see a lot of speculation in that verse as to whether or not God wants to answer the prayers of his children. Do you? And this is the confidence that we can have toward God? That whatever, if we ask anything according to what? To his will. He hears us. And we know that if he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of him. You see, here's the reality. Here's why you don't pray. Because often it's your own pride and it's your own self-sufficiency that keeps you from experiencing the blessings that God wants to give. We think we can do better. We think we know how to do it. We, 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 we think we can handle it. And so there's so much in our life that for many of us, we've put under the realm of our control when in actual fact, none of it's under our control. All of it's under the control of the sovereign Lord of the universe. But yet we, we know this, don't we, in moments of crisis. Like I, I find this as a pastor to be true. So often in life when things happen that people then can't understand, a loss of a job, a serious illness, someone's in the hospital, instantly it's so surprising to me. Somebody who never wanted God all of a sudden wants God to do something right there in that moment. Why? Because they realize that's out of their control. And yet for many of us, we think and we've, we've deceived ourselves into thinking that there's a lot under our control. And so that is why we fail to pray. Notice here, Jesus is teaching that the prerequisite of prayer is simple faith. Jesus modeled the life of prayer and he invites us into this deep abiding faith in this communion with God as Father. Notice this verse. It's in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 5, verse 16. Notice how Jesus' life is described. Luke makes this statement. He says, but he, that is Jesus, would oft, would, would, but he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. Now notice, this is not a one-time thing. This is Luke describing the life of Jesus, this helping us bring us into this invitation that, that Jesus would what? He, he, he would withdraw to these desolate places. Jesus would often go to these places and pray. And I want you to think about why Jesus is praying. Like, like Jesus is not like us in our sense of where all of our inadequacies I mean, we pray because we have need. We pray because we're inadequate. But can I ask you a question? Did Jesus have inadequacies? I mean, you think about the life of Jesus and you think about how he is praying and you ask yourself the question, well, wait a minute. Did he have any doubts? I mean, we pray through our doubts. Did Jesus have doubts? Why is he praying? Because he's desiring the fellowship with his father. Mark it. Do a study you'll discover that through the life of Jesus, Jesus does everything in his earthly ministry through the supernatural empowering of the Spirit of God. 
And every one of those times in the Bible that really shine a light on Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit, Jesus was filled with the Spirit, every one of those moments you'll find right around that passage, Jesus also going, withdrawing into these desolate places to go and pray. Here's my thing, friend. Why, 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 why would we pray? Why, why do you pray? Because we need to. I mean, we, 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 we need the Lord. Without prayer, I, I, I can't become what Jesus wants me to be. Jesus tells me that apart from him, I can do nothing. So Jesus is modeling for us this deep abiding faith, this deep abiding love and communion with his Father. And Jesus here, he's inviting us to pray as well. So what do we discover this morning? First, we discover that the prerequisite of prayer is faith, simple faith. But secondly, notice with me this morning, the second thing we discover, and that is the pattern of prayer. Secondly, we discover that the pattern of prayer is a quiet place. Notice in your Bible, look there again at Luke 15, verse 16. But he, Jesus, would withdraw to what kind of places? Someone tell me. Desolate places. What is a desolate place? A private place? A what? I mean, places that didn't have anything else, right? I mean, oftentimes you find Jesus going into the Judean wilderness. I mean, there was nothing out there. But Jesus goes out there. Why? He goes to find a quiet place. Notice Luke chapter 4. Notice this verse. And when it was day, he departed and went, here it is again, to a desolate place. And notice what happens here in verse 42. The people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. I mean, see, it's like what Jesus is doing, the miracles of Christ, his reputation, everything at this point is beginning to spread and people are just coming and pressing in up against him. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose and he was preaching in the synagogue. So like, like Jesus, he's, he's in these desolate places and the people are coming, but then like even after Jesus is being pressed upon. We, we discover in the book of Mark an, another, another thing from the life of Jesus. He, he, the Bible says that his fame had spread everywhere. The whole city was gathered together at his door. But, but Jesus does something so surprising. He withdraws in the following morning and he rises very early. And the Mark says this, and rising very early in the morning while it was still dark, he departed and went out to where? Someone tell me. A desolate place, and there he what? He prayed. Would that have been our response? I mean, just the day prior, news of Jesus has, has hit the charts, right? I mean, I, mean, I mean, things are about to take off. Jesus' earthly ministry is just booming. And he could have been so busy. People to heal, people to preach to, people to teach. I mean, he could have had so many things to do. He did have things to do, Right? But what does he do? The, the, the very next following morning, Jesus gets up while it's still dark. He goes out, as was his custom, as was his routine, to a desolate place and prays. Can I tell you this morning, the pattern of prayer is a quiet place. Jesus escaped the noise. Jesus escaped the frenzy of the world we live in so that he could get alone with his father. And this is an unmistakable pattern in the life of Jesus. You read through, I challenge you, read through the Gospels and find how many times Jesus is doing this. Not once, Jesus is doing this 
routinely. He pulls away to pray. Why? So he could have this intimate relationship with his father? So he could talk to his father? So he could be filled with the spirit for compassion and wisdom and practical things for for ministry? Jesus modeled it for us. Here's my question, though. Think about your prayer life. How often are we praying in quiet places? Notice what Jesus tells us. This is what Jesus taught us. Matthew chapter 6. Look overhead. Jesus is teaching his followers to pray. And in verse 6, he says, but what? But when you pray. No, notice I find interesting. Jesus doesn't say, hey, if you pray. Jesus is expecting his followers to pray. He says, when you pray, how are we to pray? To go into our room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who is in secret will reward you. Notice, Jesus is not telling us to pray driving down the road. Jesus is not telling us to pray while we're cooking dinner. Jesus is not telling us to pray while we're somehow surfing our phone. Jesus says, Find a quiet place and shut the door and get alone with God. Here's, you know, I believe, I believe the reason the church does not pray as they ought today. It's not because, once again, they don't have a desire or intention or believe that God would answer prayer. I think the church is too distracted. Come on, honestly, how many times this week have you pulled yourself out of the frenzy of life and found a quiet place? How many raise your hand and say, it's hard to find some quiet places? Can I see your hand? Yeah, that's why you might not find it in your house and you might have to do like Jesus and go out in the wilderness. But he's commanding us in this passage to pray. And here's the thing. You pull yourself out in the desolate places. You pull yourself out in the wilderness with no phone, no, you know, book to read, nothing going on. I'll tell you what, you'll pray. You won't have anything else to do (laughs) unless you're caught up in your thoughts, you know. Some of us, that's the worst battleground, right? But if you find yourself in a desolate place, if you'll withdraw, notice this is the pattern of prayer. Quiet places. Go in our room and shut the door. Uninterrupted. Undivided time with God. Do you have that? Do you have that? All of us know those moments are the ones that really seem to encourage us. Why? Because you've actually sat with the Lord. You spent time with Him. You sat before Him. You, 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 you arranged your day in praying for God's name, His kingdom, His will. You say, Pastor, I got way too much to do. I mean, I got, I got kids, I got a job, I, I, am, I am way too busy to pray. I, I, I have obligations, I got work. I have, I, have, I have things with family. I'm too busy to pray. I remember what Doc Mason said years ago to me. He said, Aaron, if you think you're too busy to pray, then you're just too busy. Some of us are too busy. This week I found this article by Patrick Wumberly. He describes in the article, the title of the article was Withdrawing with Jesus to Desolate Places. Listen to what he says. We have an unhealthy estimation of our own importance when we think our deeds for God are more important than our communion with God. Solitude is a physical representation of reality that we're neither the point 
nor the power of our ministry. You see what he's saying? He says, some of us have an unhealthy estimation to think that what we have to do is more important than communing with God. And solitude, those moments where we pull ourselves in quiet places, the moments where we withdraw to a place of quietness to pray, it reveals that we are not the point nor the power of our ministry. That God will accomplish His work through us. And, in, and, and, and God is doing things outside of our control. So how do we pray? Well, how do we pray? Two verses. Colossians 4, pray steadfastly, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. That that, that word, to continue steadfastly, it's this idea of devote yourself. It's the activity. It's the practice. It it means that there's something that you must plan to do, predetermine that you're going to spend time in prayer and be watchful in it with thanksgiving. But notice the other verse, it's in 1 Thessalonians 5, and in that passage, we're told just this, to pray without ceasing. And you say, you're like, wait a minute, which is it? Am I, am I to pray all the time or am I to devote myself to these places and moments of prayer? Well, they're both saying something to us. The first is speaking about the activity. It's reminding us that prayer is something we do. At first, it might feel difficult. At first, it might, you know, it will be like me in the, uh, so, so going back to the very beginning that I botched the opening, the, uh, the, the whole point of that was I took a 5K. I, I went from a couch, I, I went from a couch to 5K program, and, 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 and in the very first day, I remember all you have to do is walk a minute and run a minute. Walk a minute and run a minute. And someone was like, oh, I can't run. Can you walk, can you run a minute, right? Can you just, one, 60, 60 seconds on your phone, can you run? A minute, and then walk a minute, and then after a couple weeks, you go to you know running seven minutes, and then you're walking seven minutes, and then you're running seven minutes, and by the end of it, you're you're to be able like, within like six to eight weeks go from the couch to running a 5K because it took discipline, it took effort, it it was building these habits, it was creating. Lord, notice this rhythm. You're here this morning. You say, Pastor, and I don't pray. Well, don't set a goal to pray for five hours in one day. Why don't you pray for five minutes? And then meditate for five minutes. But notice, these spiritual practices, they're things that we do so that, right, it sets us on that path to experiencing Jesus. The first is speaking of our activity. The second, though, to pray without ceasing, it's, it's talking about our relationship. It's like God should be in the center of our mind all day long, whether we're sitting down or eating or driving or whatever, like the Lord's just right there. And if something were to come up in the day or some moment, how many of you know you've, you've just said a prayer, just sometimes even out loud, unspoken, but you had, you've, you've talked to the Lord. How many of you see your hand, right? So it's both of those. It's setting the practice to be diligent in prayer and it's living our life in relationship to it. So just some really simple things. Let me give you a quote by Andrew Murray. He says, reading a book without prayer, listening to lectures and talking about it is very good, but it won't teach you to pray. You get nothing without exercise, without practice. 
I might listen for a year to a professor of playing music, the most beautiful music, but that won't teach me to play an instrument. See what he's saying? He says you get nothing without exercise, nothing without practice. You say, okay, what does that mean for me this week? Three simple things, I'll be done. Number one, find a quiet place. Do you have it? Do you have a few? Find a quiet place. Totally pulled away from distractions. Find it. And then secondly, begin with Scripture. You know, a conversation with the Lord is not a conversation that we started. But it's a conversation that God starts first. The Bible says no one seeks after God, but He seeks after us. And He's given us His Word. I mean, he's, he's, God started the conversation. So why don't you hear what God's saying? Like we are talking about last week, why don't you meditate before the Lord, listen to what he is saying, and then in your conversation, respond back to that. I love what Daniel Henderson puts out uh, on, on scripture-fed prayer. If you're, you're looking for a great resource, go, go check out Daniel Henderson of scripture-fed praying. We begin with Scripture and we respond to Scripture. We're continuing the conversation that God has begun in His Word. And then finally, just some simple ways of praying. Think Acts. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. Begin our prayers just adoring the Lord, praising Him, thanking Him for who He is. Just just thinking about His, His glory, His majesty, His power. You're just adoring God. And you're confessing things that you know in your life are shortcomings. They're things that are not lining up with what you've seen in his word. You're expressing your thankfulness to the Lord for who he is and what he has done. And then finally, you're bringing your supplications. You're just bringing your petitions to God. You're asking for things for your family and for yourself and for our church. And you're, you're praying for our search committee and you're praying for our community. And you're finding yourself just, just pouring out your heart to the Lord and seeing God's kingdom, his will and his priorities and his name begin to take shape in our life. Prayer is one of the greatest blessings in the Christian life. Some of us overcomplicate it. It requires simple faith. And it requires a quiet place. And the Bible says in 1 John, if we ask things according to His will, He hears us. And we can have the confidence to know that what we've asked... He will answer. Why? Because he's a loving father that cares for his children. He cares for you. He loves you. He wants you to see, he he wants to see in your life you thrive for his glory. He wants to see joy in your heart. He, He wants you to see yourself not going through days defeated and discouraged, but full of hope. Because that's that's the kind of God he is. And that's what he wants for you. Would you pray together this morning? Father, we thank you that you hear us. Thank you that, Lord, our privilege to pray out loud and corporately is just a overflow of inward private prayer. It's, um, Lord, we pray you'd quicken us for some in this room that are doubting, for some in this room that are questioning. Lord, help them see that all you ask is, the requirement is this, this simple faith. And Lord, you meet us. You meet us in our doubts. You meet us um, 
in our questions. Lord, help us as a church this week to take another step in our Christian life. Help us to reorient the way that we've prioritized things in our life, where we're putting our energies. Or some of us this week need to find moments, carve out moments today for the rest of this week of where we're going to go to a desolate place. Oh, Lord, we're so thankful to know that you love us, that you are doing things in us. And Lord, we thank you that you answer prayer. And so we commit all of these things to the mighty name of Jesus. We ask it in his name, all God's people said. Stand with me this morning. Would you bow your head before the Lord? And right now, let's not talk about it. Let's experience it. Come kneel up front here. Find a quiet place on the steps. Meet with God. There's some in our church family that are going through some real burdens and they've asked us to pray for them. There's a number of prayer cards right up front here. Would you, would you come this morning and, and take one of these cards and, 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 and get alone with God on their behalf? Just in the quietness, stillness of the moment, just right there, respond to the Lord in your heart. Kneel at your seat. You can come up front. Let's just take some moments with, with Jesus. Jesus.